What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's the time of the fall equinox when day and night are of equal length and we have a balance to find, to harmonize, and to ready ourselves for the next cycle of autumn creating a blanket for the earth for winter. It's thoughts for the cold season to come and emerging in the spring without the baggage that's encumbered us before. How to do this? Well, welcome to Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women with Stephanie Rafalak. Welcome, Stephanie. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Diane. I'm so happy to be back with you. It's terrific. I, um, I loved reading this book, and I'm going to give our listeners a kind of um, snapshot that um, the book profile is that ever since Eve was banned from the garden, women have been endured oftentimes painful and inaccurate definitions foisted upon them by the patriarchy, maiden, mother, and crone, representing the three stages assigned to a woman's life cycle. These have been the limiting categories of both ancient and modern mythology, and one label in particular rankles, and that is crone. The word conjures a wizened hag, useless for the most part and marginalized by appearance and ability. None of us has ever truly fit the old crone image, and for today's midlife woman, a new archetype is being birthed, the creatrix. So congratulations, Stephanie. This is a personal book, and yet it's a very educational book. Why don't you give us um, just your brief definition of who the creatrix is? Well, the word creatrix comes from the three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter, and the weaver was the creatrix. And the word is uniquely feminine. It's not assigned to a man. It's assigned to a woman. And it means a woman who makes things. And why that um, gender definition is significant is men, as they get older, have had archetypes like sage and wizard, which are uniquely male, but they have a positive connotation to them. And crone even though I know there have been some feminist groups that have tried to embrace the word crone and and sort of make it something more than what it is, um, it doesn't have a positive connotation. If you trace the word um, to its etymological um, beginnings, it's a word that means um, haggard old woman. It's a word that means, that comes from the old French carrion, which is um, the flesh of rotting animals that only the vultures will eat. So it, mm-hmm. it isn't a very nice word to assign to women, and no woman I know really wants that title. Yeah, no, it's not attractive, for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is, well, and, and your book shreds or sheds the image of the crone, the old, spent, withered-up woman. Um, And it also can be about rejuvenation. Um, I I felt that um, there was a real sense of um, finding uh, finding dynamic energy in ourselves and absolutely um, coming into a kind of rebirth phase, which I really feel that women are doing um, as we speak. Uh, that there are, it is a really a moment when women have become much more entrepreneurial. Um, and so speak to us a bit about this time of life and a new archetype, the creatrix, in terms of, uh, for our time, it's a brand new era. In the past, women who weren't in the workforce, um, you know, 
maybe did have less of a role to play at this point in their lives. But what you're saying, it seems, is that you're creating, there's a new archetype because the times have also changed to embrace women. Can you speak to that and also how the pandemic impacts the creatrix? Well, I think you said it quite beautifully when you used the word rejuvenation. Um, The creatrix at midlife is rejuvenating her life, moving from the motherhood years to the something else. And what is the something else? Well, for a long while, when the traditional roles of women were to stay at home and raise kids, the something else was, was just kind of an empty nest or an empty nest that we felt. And now, midlife women are experiencing so much more. And yes, you're right, it's happening in our culture. That's what led me to write about this you know, trying to find this archetype within myself, but also within the culture, because I think there were three events that happened fairly close to each other in society. Um, The first was the Women's March of 2017, which was just an amazing, unifying event. And it wasn't just women marching. I mean, it was, it was men marching too, but it was this, this sense of, you know, the old Helen Reddy song, I am woman, hear me roar. And I can remember Mm -hmm. standing on a hill. I was in Oregon at the time watching literally thousands and thousands and thousands of women come into this park with a unified sense. The thing that happened the next year in 2018 was that more women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and national office than ever before in our country's history. And the third thing that happened on the heels of that was the hashtag MeToo movement, which is significant because it was an unburdening of a collective problem that women had been living with for a long, long time. So those three things Mm -hmm. told me there is something collectively afoot. It's not just some unique thing I'm feeling inside of myself. Women are really coming into their own. And for a long time, women talked about empowerment. But now there was empowerment that wasn't just talk. It was visible in our actions. And that's the the inspiration behind Creatrix. Mm -hmm. And I do see her. I see her in... Certainly in leadership, I see her, as you mentioned, in entrepreneurism. I see her in education. Um, Women, it's not like we're trying to find our voice. It's like we have a voice, and I feel like we're using it now. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful quote in the book, Creatrix Rising, um, and I'll I'll just read it. Um, This brings me back to my feeling that a Darwinian moment is upon us as we collectively engage in acknowledging that a a revolution of creativity, self-worth, and courage is taking place with women, especially older women who are beginning to embody the emerging archetype of a creatrix. By nature, the creatrix is a sovereign soul, a seeker tapping into higher vibration and consciousness. She weaves the quality of creativity, courage, self-love, and acceptance along with the practice of gratitude. And she no longer strives to prove herself through the trappings of youth, but remains an uplifter to younger women. So as a kind of mentor or role model, but not enslaved to the old dimensions of what it meant to be uh, a a viable woman. Um, So I I find this to be very liberating, uh, Stephanie, and uh, I'm very grateful that you brought this to light. Um, It gives us a way forward when we apply a label, creatrix. Um, It tells us you know, we're not, we're a part of something. We're a part of a movement. Um, and I wondered, you know, for me personally, this is a book about uh, 2020 hindsight and revising the way we've looked at our lives and the past because that is also the key to liberating the way we look ahead. We're unburdening the self-recrimination. You've had your share of, of Knox. Um, you, you've also been in this genre for some time. This is your second book. The first is the author. You were the author of a delightful little book on aging. Um, you went back to university. You've penned articles for a number of publications. 
Um, I wondered in all of this evolution, personally, how was it to go back and revisit your life and the way you used to comment on it? For me, it was a liberating healing experience. To say the, the quiet part that you don't dare utter out loud and realize that the way that we're connected with people in the world isn't through the smooth and polite parts of our life. It is through the hard knocks. It is through the suffering. That, in fact, the wisdom we have as older women is born in the grit of our life. It doesn't come out of the smooth and shiny places. Um, Women get to the age of 50, and if you're you're lucky to have lived that long, um, you've been Mm -hmm. through a lot. And... I have always said you can't go back and change the facts, but you can go back and change what the facts mean. And so mm-hmm. we can have this, this moment of, of talking differently to ourselves and about ourselves. You know, a, a few moments ago, you asked me a question that I didn't answer about what effect did the you know, pandemic have on the creatrix. And, and as you were asking this question, I thought, well, first of all, I didn't answer that. And second of all, part of this revolution was greatly influenced by the pandemic in that, have you noticed how all over Facebook and Instagram, there are groups and women that are calling out the gray. They're celebrating the gray instead of running out and Mm -hmm. dyeing their hair. That's the result of COVID because, you know, like none of us made it to our stylist (laughs) during the pandemic Mm -hmm. when we were in lockdown and people started to let their hair go naturally silver, naturally white, and and celebrate it as opposed to, oh, you'd look so much younger and so much better if you dyed it, as if young were the the be-all, end-all. So... um, yeah, that's one of the changes I see in this in this revolution. You know, it, it's kind of the little steps. Revolution never happens from one person. You know, it's like this collective, everybody's got this little piece that they add to it. And I think this movement for the silver-haired beauties is one of them. And I think there, you know, there's always this, you know, saying of random acts of kindness, but it's also about showing kindness to ourselves. I mean, you know, having gone, mm-hmm. I, I, this, yeah. was, this was several years now, um, but I, I now, you know, my hair is so much healthier and longer and better than it ever was <laughs> when I was putting chemical products on it. So it's also in some ways more vibrant and youthful looking um, to be natural and it's freeing a lot of energy that you spent trying to look like something else. And, um, you know, you, you are younger. <laughs> you feel younger as a, a result. I know that youth obsessed culture is, you know, not what we're aiming for, but you do have a lot more freed up energy. And I, I think that, you know, you've talked about this. You're host of Coffee Table Wisdom, a program that promotes healthy aging in body, mind, and spirit. And, I mean, this is really all about, this is all about acceptance, right, at a certain level so that we're free to look ahead and think differently about our years ahead, how has it impacted you writing the book and going through this evolution? Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head with it's about self-acceptance because self-acceptance frees up our courage. The more we accept ourselves as we are, the more courageous we get to stand in the light of our truth and speak it. So the way that this has impacted me is that I'm forever aware that awakening isn't something that happens just one time. It's like it's why I don't mm-hmm. like the word woke. <laughs> it's kind of a past tense mm-hmm. thing. But awakening and reinvention and reclamation, those things happen over and over and over again in life. And they're really meant to be celebrated. So in my life, it's like, yes, I wrote this book and I learned some things about myself in the process and I healed some things in myself in the process, but it doesn't mean I'm done yet. There is still Mm -hmm. a, I have a psycho-spiritual relationship to the world um, as a result of the writing that I do. And I want to encourage women that, you know, it's like 
the growth that happens in us on a psychological level, on a spiritual level, those are things that are exciting and they're things that can happen until the day we die. We don't ever mm-hmm. have to arrive somewhere. We're always in process. We're always in this very fluid, beautiful, universal love that supports all of us. And that's mm-hmm. the place that we grow. And it, it doesn't have to end. Well, right. And to the contrary, um, the, thing, the thing about it is that, you know, there's a kind of a takeaway, uh, a quote that I read, though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. And even though we're not hopefully looking at the end, uh, literal end of our life, I, I still feel as though, you know, uh, your book was tremendously, this book, I think because it is so personal, um, you were very candid in your disclosures, and it, it really has just helped me enormously, Stephanie, um, to stop critiquing my choices, stop uh, judging my choices because we have to live in the now. We have to, you know, if, if you brand yourself a certain way and that's a negative critique, what's the chances of you repeating that going forward? So it's, it's a way of taking off the old labels too, right? We have just a minute to go. But I mean, you have changed the version of yourself, right? Right, and, and that acceptance is everything. I mean, self-love is kind of bantied around a bit. You know, what does that really mean? What, do we, what does self-love really mean? But I think it's embracing that, like you said, it's like, yeah, sometimes you make some choices that are great, and sometimes you make some choices that are just bonehead moves. But it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the label that sticks with you for the rest of your life. And I, as I said before, I just think there's plenty of room to continue unfolding in the most beautiful sense, as beautiful older women. And this is our time. Yeah, this is our time. It's a moment, for sure. I do think that, you know, men are also embracing it because they think there's a great deal of pride going on and um, maybe surprise and pride, but um, I, I see our partners kind of getting behind us as we explore these new regions and horizons. We're going to pause for a commercial break, but when we come back, we'll be speaking with Stephanie Raffalock about the imprint of previous generations upon us uh, and how she has done her own investigating uh, as disclosed very tenderly in her book, Creatrix Rising. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Stephanie Raffalock, and her book also contains uh, Creatrix Rising exercises. If you want to do your own investigation, Stephanie, you've done a great job of uh, uncovering past nuggets that you point out through previous generations, your grandmother, your mother, how those imprinted you in terms of your self-concept, and how they imprint all of us. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
as I was writing this, I started to think about the women in my life that I would hold as a creatrix and how they had influenced me. And I realized that what stands behind me is this long, long line of women, um, all of them gone now. My, my mother, Cleofa, my grandmother, Julia, my great-grandmother, Eva, who I never met and yet had a profound influence on me. And as I began to look at their lives, I, I realized that feminism isn't something that just happens in the big scale out there as history. We all have a personal feminist history, and it's the little stories, the little steps that inform us as we move forward in life. It's the, um, it's the mother that wore pants at a time when, when women weren't supposed to wear pants or trousers. Um, it's mm-hmm. the grandmother who stood up to something that, okay, women, that polite women just didn't do that. It's those little things. And so I look deeply at the, um, the influence uh, of my mother and grandmother especially and what they gave me. My grandmother gave me a tremendous spiritual sense because she always had me in the garden with her. And her garden was mm-hmm. literally sacred space. She had little statues of saints and angels everywhere, and she'd have a rosary in one hand and be picking peas with the other. You know, it was just, that was her place to be contemplative, to be quiet, to be at one with her universe and her God. And Mm -hmm. that informed my life much more than I realized. It was only, I think, in my 30s and 40s that I began to get this sense of how much she had really given me. And my mother, too, who was um, a single mother raising me at the time, um, I have this Mm -hmm. story in the book about how she had quit her job one day. And I was terribly distressed because I knew that was our source of income. But she had found out that her assistant, who was a man, was making more money than she was. And she went to her boss and she said, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And her boss said to her, well, yes, but Theo, he has a family. And she said, so do I. And that was the mm-hmm. only recourse left a woman in that particular time in history. Um, the Lily Ledbetter Act was nowhere to be found just yet. And women are still fighting for equal pay for equal work to a large extent. Um, but those little bits of history inform us, that personal feminist history informs us. So I think that starting with one's family and, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what we got from that and how it impacted and changed our lives and directionally is, um, is an important exercise. It really is. It really is. Because in that moment, you saw, first of all, your mother's principles, her unwillingness to toe the line and accept that she should be making less money when she had you, you were a family unit. Um, and just because she was a woman and it was a non-traditional family unit, you know, it's really amazing how radical the change has been. As you say, we've far to go, but I mean, you know, this kind of key event kind of signified, I think, something to you in your life about fighting for something, fighting for something that was right, that was just, and, um, you know, kind of not kowtowing, which is fabulous. And then this, you know, spiritual grandmother, I went back and looked at the role that my grandmother had played. I mean, we worked together um, in a catering kitchen <laughs> for a long time. Mm-hmm. She was a first-generation first, yeah, first immigrant, so she... She didn't speak the language. Um, she's coming from Germany, and then we she cooked. We cooked for 225 people, um, you know, for <laughs> weddings in, in, in events. Um, and it, it, it also informed me in another way. I mean, work is the best kept secret was one thing. Um, but I also just think about, you know, the idea of service and humility and where that goes and um, without making too much of a self-sacrificing point to it. Um, but you, you talk about, you know, a generation, you're talking also about a generation preceding your mom who might, you know, there was an either or. It was work or have family, not both. It was a very binary situation. Um, and we were, it, do you feel as though that message that cho- you have to choose family or career 
did it penetrate your consciousness when you were trying to make choices about your career life, for example? I can't remember that it, it penetrated my consciousness in any kind of aware and awake way. And it probably did inform me on a, on a subconscious level. Um, I, I knew from my mother that the playing field wasn't level. That was, you know, that mm-hmm. was one of the more painful things to learn. But it also alerted me to keeping my eye out for that. That it's like, well, it's good to know the terrain that you're traveling. Um, and I got to a point where I didn't believe that women could have it all, but I also didn't believe mm-hmm. that women had to choose. And I think women of this generation of, of new mothers... Um, have it wired and balanced out much more than my generation did. They seem to be able to have, yes, I have work and yes, I have family, but I have help in my family that in my generation just wasn't around. You just didn't, you know, ask a guy to unload the dishwasher. That was, you know, Mm -hmm. that was your role. And we had our, our standard roles. And I think those roles have now bled into each other so that um, parenting and family is more of a cooperative mom and dad thing than it was in my generation or my mother's generation, where it was like, you know, nope, the woman raises the kids. I mean, you think about it, in my mother's generation, men weren't even in the delivery room. Oh, no, the only part of the- as if they didn't have no. anything to do with how the baby got there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, right. No. And, and, but, um, but what about, let me challenge you here. What about the pandemic in terms of, yeah, it started to redesign a lot of the roles at home, right? Because men who were working from home started to realize what goes on to make a house work, <laughs> you know, more than they had been before. And, and became, right. you, you know, more involved. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, kind of spun off from, from work at home and childcare being something that became more of an involvement for many dads too. But what about the issue of women not returning to work now? Um, you know, we have this statistic that women have left the workforce or are recreating themselves um, at, at, from working at home types of, um, yeah, maybe startups. But what about this idea? I mean, have we just overloaded ourselves? Well, I, I think that we're all a little bit on overload right now. I, I think we all have a little bit of resilience fatigue going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but men, certainly, you're right. They have found out during the pandemic what it takes to run a household. If women are not returning to work, I think it's because they like the idea of being close to their kids during the day, there for them if they need them. And why should I, you know, commute an hour and a half or an hour a day? So I think there's a lot of people, mm-hmm. not just women, that are sort of trying to re, um, remake that role of, you know, what does it mean to work? Does work mean getting in your car, driving an hour, and going to a building where you sit in a room with people with similar jobs, and then you go home at 5 o'clock and fight traffic for an hour again and do your home life. And maybe it doesn't have to mean that. Maybe that's something that, you know, when the history books look back, they'll go, well, there was a time when, you know, people used to go to an office every day, and now this changed during the pandemic. I don't know. I think we're too soon, too close to it yet to really know what's going to happen, whether or not companies will insist that women come back, whether or not women will hold a ground and say, no, I don't want to come back. I do want both Mm -hmm. things right now. Um, And certainly women in the pandemic, single mothers, younger mothers, um, suffered a great deal more because they were coming to work with childcare and suddenly childcare wasn't available to them. So now what is the big question mark that hangs in the air for them? So it's one thing to know that you have, you know, the money to do the kind of job where your employer likes you so much and what you do that you can stay in that role and work from home. And it's another thing to be working at a job that isn't as valued by the culture and, you know, you just better get your butt into work. And then what do you do about child care? And I think these are tough times. I don't know that I would, what kind of decisions I would make about sending my kids to school now if there wasn't a mask mandate or vaccinations available. I, 
I don't know. I think those are tough, tough decisions for people to make. It, they absolutely are. Let's let's look at a little personal aspect here. You you wrote about um, relationships that you were in. Um, Ray, who was a sort of manipulative mm-hmm. relationship early on. You were you know aspiring singer songwriter or songwriter in particular. So you know it's natural offshoot that you should become an author. Um, but I, I wondered about um, you know telling your story. Because a delightful little book on aging has a lot of, you know, kernels of truth in it, but it's not as personal as this book. And here, Stephanie, I think you've done a a real service by pointing out how the examples in your life played into your choices, how you evaluated those choices, how you um, have to amortize regret, self-loathing, judgment. Um, You know, what made you decide to kind of come clean and and tell your story and weave it through that way? Well, as a writer, I, I have long known that the reason I write is because writing provides a doorway for me into the examined life. And so when I see words reflected back off of a page, it helps me to make sense of the world. And in writing this book, I just knew that I could either be preachy about what I saw or I could bring it into myself in the most raw, real, emotionally honest way that I could. And I knew that that was also a risk. Because, you know, we don't normally like to take our clothes off metaphorically and stand naked before other people. Um, But it was something I was willing to do because I think that that kind of emotional honesty, not only does it give me permission to then accept and love myself, but it gives lots of other women permission to read about events in my life that, you know, were less than... um, polite, less than wonderful, and go, oh my gosh, you make me want to tell my truth. And truth mm-hmm. um, and self-knowledge, those things are very, very liberating. Absolutely. And I also want to sort of emphasize, you know, if you're, if you're down and dirty and you're really talking about how you lived through the trenches, trying to support yourself as a very young girl, 17, you mm-hmm. left home and were in Los Angeles. Um, you know, you, you had, we'll, we'll just say it, um, you had dropped out of high school. And, yep. you know, this is the kind of, and you've retrieved yourself in a really big way um, and, and remade yourself. And, uh, but this is the kind of story that really helps with self-acceptance and for us. Because when I look at linear stories of, I, first I did this, I graduated college magnum cum laude, I went into my first job, I stuck with it, and I ascended to the presidency. Uh, and, you know, there's a kind of, um, it, there's a sense of intimidation. Oh, that person never made it a dumb choice, you know, never, never goofed up. And I think the more that you're showing your flaws in thinking, uh, the more you're coming to terms with real life, but also paving the way for those of us that also, you know, reflect on ourselves and say, wait a minute, what was I thinking here? And, and help us to kind of get over that hurdle of living in that, yeah, in that critique mode um, and, and kind of being stuck. Um, I wondered if you felt even more unstuck <laughs> as a result of writing the book. <laughs> I, I think so, to some degree. I came t- to peace with a couple of, of big things in this book. One was that I was abandoned. I couldn't see that when I was the 17-year-old girl living on my own in Los Angeles because I felt, you know, I felt old. I felt older at 17, like I can handle this. And it, so, you know, fast forward into my late 60s, and I'm writing about this, and it was the first time that I was able to see myself as, oh, my God, my mom dropped me off in Los Angeles and left me when I was 17. This was mm-hmm. a big deal. I look at 17-year-old girls now in my neighborhoods, and, I, and they're beautiful, beautiful young women. And to a certain degree, they're clueless, which is absolutely appropriate for 17. So to be on my own at 17 was a really, really big piece that came about as a result of 
of writing this and just finally telling that story without the the unexpressed um, anger. You know, I had a lot of anger around my mother abandoning me, but I didn't know what the anger was about because I couldn't identify that that's what it was. So mm-hmm. now it's like that anger could be released. And I went, well, my mom, yes. I guess, was a lot like me. She made some real bonehead moves, and she made some wonderful moves. And I sort of started mm-hmm. to love her as the whole package and feel for the first time in my life she really did love me, and she was clueless in a lot of ways, as many of us are in our lives. So I think that telling that particular story, that particular part of my life, was, um, was very liberating. And also then to see where that led. I mean, like you said, I retrieved myself, but part of the retrieving or the, the reclamation of oneself is the very act of the archetype of the creatrix, a woman who makes things. You can, you can weave too tightly in life. You can weave things smoothly and open. And mm-hmm. so I became the weaver in that moment where I began to realize like how some of these things had come to pass. And now I could change what the facts meant. Couldn't change the facts, but exactly change what they mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very healing, and I think it's healing to come to the self love that is partly a a love of our mother. Um, You know, we're internalized; we've internalized her, and so the more we understand, you know, kind of with compassion where she's coming from, then the more complete that healing aspect is. Um, We have to pause for a commercial break here, but, you know, I I really want to come back and ask you, Stephanie Raffalak, you know, we were very different people than our mothers. Were we so determined and forthright that they didn't really know how to handle us? They couldn't say, no, don't (laughs) go to LA and, you know, don't do it. Like, I am, you know, I really don't want you to ruin your life. You know, because I know several sort of parallel stories around people our age, women whose parents said, okay, well, you don't really have to take that, um, you know, that scholarship or you don't have to, oh, you don't want to do that. Okay. Because they, they didn't really know how to force us to do things. We were kind of out of control and a little rampant on our own. And maybe there was just no telling us anything. (laughs) That's always possible, too. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to pause for a commercial break. But when we come back, we'll continue talking both in broad base and in personal um, to Stephanie Raffalak, who's created this very incredibly interesting and wonderful book, Creatrix Rising. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Stephanie Raffalock. I'm going to spell your last name, Stephanie, because I want people to follow you on Instagram. You've got a great 
feed, um, very dynamic, and, um, you know, tuning into your rejuvenation process, uh, your regeneration process. So it's Stephanie, I-E at the end, then Raffalock is R-A-F-F-E-L-O-C-K. And you were a bit of a force to be reckoned with. Before the break, we talked about it's, you know, the out-of-control generation or the generation maybe that couldn't really be talked out of things or into things. What, what's your take on that? I think that ours was a generation that did not have a context for the trauma that was the backlife of our coming of age. And here's what I mean by that. When I was 11 or 12 years old, I watched on television the very famous Magruder film, The Assassination of John F. Kennedy, our president. Mm -hmm. A few years later, Mm -hmm. I was a sophomore in high school, and Martin Luther King was killed. And Mm -hmm. shortly after that, Robert F. Kennedy um, was assassinated. So there was no um, there was no grief counseling for the country. There was no right. one who said, "Oh my gosh, here's this generation that's coming of age; they're becoming teenagers and, and young adults." And three of our great leaders, who were all about social justice, have been assassinated, and it's all on caught on camera. Mm-hmm. And so I think that our generation the out of control, the sense of you can't tell me anything, the sense of you've screwed this up too much for me to listen to you, mm-hmm. is in a way appropriate. And wh- what I mean by appropriate is that it's like, well, what, how did you expect us to react? Now, it's not that you can blame, you know, our parents' generation for these tragedies, But as I said, there was no grief counseling. These were tragedies that happened as we were coming of age. And not only did it lead to a kind of of out-of-controlness, I think it led to a um, culture-wide spread of drug addiction. What we now, Mm -hmm. in in the psychology business, they call self-medicating. Was it really Mm -hmm. that we were looking to expand our consciousness, or were we just looking to medicate the pain of seeing our leaders, the people that we believed in, killed in front of our eyes. Yep. So that's what I wonder about the out-of-control generation. It's like, yeah, there was some out-of-control and there was a reason for it. I think it's very, I think you're spot on and I think contextualizing it that way is important um, because thank goodness these events, kinds of events don't repeat themselves now. There are different kinds of traumatizing, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, the other thing about trauma and you know, uh, you know, from whence you speak and you, you've, you've also become quite educated and self-aware that trauma begets a kind of resilience. And I wondered if the, extra expanded consciousness uh, following all the (laughs) decades of acting out that our generation has done. Um, You know, you talk about how the, you know, the creatrix generation, our generation, 50s, 60s, and beyond, are actually have much more expanded consciousness than even, say, younger women, younger generations who are looking at, you know, survival. They're looking at life in a much more, let's say, practical way. As you say, they have more options, just um, more choices to make. But in terms of the actual spiritual consciousness, that it seems to be part of this creatrix identity, how do you think it's resilience in the face of this trauma? I think some of it is resilience in the face of this particular trauma. I, I think that's why women of a of a little bit older age tend to do tend to do better in terms of expressing themselves in the world. Uh, like I said, if you you've lived a certain number of years, you know that that the wisdom, the hard won wisdom in your life, is is from the grit. It's, it's, not, um, it's not just graced us. But the grace mm-hmm. of it is that these are the things that help us to continue to change. And, you know, and my other point of view on that is ours was a generation that allowed its 
myself some time to reflect. I think that was part of the, the great spiritual movement, the great guru movement that happened in our generation was that we wanted something, we wanted to reflect on the something higher, not just what our problems are, but the something more. And I believe it's a lot tougher for the generations behind us because of technology. You know, it's like if, you're, mm-hmm. if your eyeballs are always glued to a phone, if what you do first thing in the morning is check your email or check your texts or text someone or pull up something online to read, um, this is not a reflective state. This is like a flickering light that's going to, you know, do different things to your brain than if you were just still with a cup of tea and, and the darkness of the morning as the light seeps in. They're, they're two very, mm-hmm. very different things. Um, but it's also the te- technology is addictive. And so it's a tough time. It's a tougher time, I think, in the younger generation to reflect upon life and to see the value in the contemplative life because, man, our devices are like they're on 24-7. They're with us 24-7. It's like talking on the phone is kind of quaint and old-fashioned now because of yeah. the way that we communicate in kind of a code through, you know, texting and, and messaging and different apps that do those things. And we don't, with a screen between us and the other person, and a lot of this has happened during COVID, we don't get a real sense of the feeling tone of being human with someone else. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's to our detriment. I don't know what the answer to that is, except that in Mm -hmm. in my own life, I have to work with myself every day to get up and, and journal first, to do a little meditation practice first, and then I turn on my computer. And, mm-hmm. and it's Absolutely. a battle with me. It's ongoing. Sure. Well, yeah, we're afraid of missing something. You know, something might happen. And when we're, when we're you know, <laughs> setting an intention. Um, and, you know, I'm really not trying to be disparaging at all in these generalizations, which just are generalizations. Right? There are a lot of yes. um, younger people that are incorporating, you know, meditative practices and yoga practices into their lives as a matter of course, where for us it was, you know, starting something very, um, you know, Eastern versus Western. So that's also much more integrated now. But, um, I, you know, and we did do a lot of navel-gazing and trying to think about higher <laughs> ground, and, and maybe there's no time for that now. But, you know, as, I think you make an outstanding point there. The, the whole thing about voice communications, which I'm a big fan of now, um, you know, a person, I was reading, a, you know, it was like a, a story, a profile on ultra-successful salesperson. I think it was a man. Um, and, you know, was, I don't even remember the company um, or the product, but they basically, was, the interview was, how have you had these outstanding results? And he said, well, basically, it's because I get up away from my computer, I go up on the roof of the building, and I call my clients personally, and I hear them. I hear them, their concerns, or I meet with them. You know, that's less COVID times, but, you know, think about it. Think about the the amount of detail and nuance that you get from a personal conversation. It's exactly to your point. Um, I, I think that that's... I think that's a fascinating point um, and that, you know, older women are, um, you know, we, we're trying to, to keep the balance going because we know it's really important, right? I mean, uh, I think that, you know, you're, you're probably in the position of doing that yourself, having a new book out. And what do we, what can we expect next uh, from you in terms of are you doing um, seminars, online courses. I know you've got lots of irons in the fire now, Stephanie Raffaloff. What's, what's next? I do. I will be doing a um, a webinar for uh, Covey Club, which is Leslie Jane Seymour's company. She was the past editor of uh, More Magazine. I will be doing a webinar mm-hmm. for her in mid-October. I think it's October 13th is the date on um, knowing your personal feminist history. And uh, there is a wonderful organization here in Dallas called ne- Her Next Tribe that I will be doing um, some interviews with um, online for their 
following um, about this very topic, about about what it is to be a feminist in, in the year 2021 or 2022, as opposed to what it was like in 1974. And there's, you know, like the big, big differences. So, and I am looking at setting up some retreats, Creatrix Rising retreats, but that's all just in the talking stages right now. So... In October, I will begin uh, working on my next manuscript, which is a book about the longing to belong. Aha. Uh-huh. That's a huge motivator, right? That is something that... That's a huge that topic. It, yeah, it really is. Um, you did also have a spiritual quote in Creatrix Rising. I'm just going to pass on to our listeners. Um, while we wrap up here, our time is coming to an end, but you asked a minister, how do you know when you're doing God's will? And he said, you know you're doing God's will when you're in touch with the deepest feelings of your heart and you begin to act upon those. And it seems to me that you, Stephanie, are, are really starting to do that with the personal feminist history and, and sharing your wisdom through Creatrix Rising Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. Thank you so much for being with us, Stephanie. We'll look forward to chatting with you again as you go deeper. Um, I would urge people to pick up this book and to look up Stephanie on her website, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, all under Stephanie Rasselak. Thanks for being with us, Stephanie. Thanks so much, Diane. It's been a pleasure. So um, I, I want to just, you know, bring this to a close by saying the book is Creatrix Rising. You can find it wherever books are sold. Thanks very much for um, your willingness to participate. Thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and create a new ending for yourself. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.